Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to episode 4-419 of the Run Run Live podcast. It's kind of echoey in here. I'm in my uh, in the place where I work. So I'm a week late with this one, but don't worry. It's going to be a great show. You know, think about it this way. We gave it an additional week to marinate, right, to grow, to rise like good rustic bread or age like fine wine. And the story is, last week, I was all lined up to get the show out Friday. Thursday, actually, was my birthday. And I took it off. I took Thursday and Friday off from work to recuperate a bit. And I was going to work on the show. I was working on the show. And then, ironically, as I was writing the Hero's Journey piece that you'll hear today in Section 2, that talks about how life is not a straight line and it seldom goes as you expect it to, my old computer Cease to turn on. Yeah. So I've had this Microsoft Surface since uh, at least 2015. It's pretty old. And it's been the best computer I've ever had. It was powerful enough to do all the audio editing and stuff that I do for the show. And it has a great form factor for traveling. Just a really good machine that matches my needs very well. So the end of this story is, or the punchline here, is that I spent all day Friday in the Microsoft store and ended up buying a new Surface that I am happily tapping away on right now. And I didn't lose any data, just some time and, uh, yeah, some money, about 2000 bucks a lighter here. So, you know, if you ever considered becoming a member of the Run Run Live podcast to help defray unexpected expenses. So with that excuse out of the way, let me take you back to the primordial jungles of North America, where strange and dangerous beasts roam dark, dank, mysterious forests. 200 million years BC. It is the age of reptiles. The dinosaurs rule the planet Earth. In the underbrush, a cunning piriformis stalks an unwitting herd of quadriceps. The piriformis is not the largest or most ferocious of the tricep carnivores, but they're cunning and cruel. 
the herd is nervous as they sense the presence of another. The quadriceps tense up. They lift their great shaggy heads to smell the air. Feathered necks crane. Bulbous, speckled saucer eyes search to identify any threat. The bulls snort and move to the outside to protect the young. The tension is broken suddenly when a great lumbering gluteus breaks through the trees, chewing the high vegetation in its great flat jaws. The quadriceps relax and go about their feeding as the great gluteus pulls branches into its maw. The giant gluteus has few predators. Its sheer massive size makes it immune to most of the jungle dangers. It is a docile force of nature, reaching with its great snout to strip the high branches of their succulent needles. And then with a flash there is fear and chaos. The bleating of the quadriceps pups fills the air. The piriformis flashes from its hiding place and sinks its hooked serrated fangs into the great gluteus. The gluteus roars in shock and pain and horror. He bolts crashing through the jungle with a snarling piriformis holding fast like some evil parasite scratching away with its vicious claws. For long minutes the gluteus founders through the jungle and the swamp, this way and that, trying to shake the piriformis free. But it is dug in tight and cannot be reached with the scrambling forefeet. Once it is almost knocked free by a frenzied roll down a hill through some jagged rocks, but it lunges and scrambles to sink its cruel fangs deeper into the unprotected haunch. Soon the great beast begins to tire. The damage is done, and the great glute can no longer lift its massive hind leg. All its great strength is for naught, as this cruel and cunning, craven creature has it lain low. The great gluteus heaves a tremendous sigh and crumbles to the ground. It can no longer run. The piriformis, only a fraction of its size, has incapacitated it. As the great beast, once an unconcerned king, lies heaving and bleating mournfully in the dust, the piriformis sizes up a leap to the jugular with one yellow cat's eye. And that was our old friend, Peter Herridge, everyone, with that excellent dramatic reading. And that piece of writing has been kicking around in my head for a few years, probably since I first heard the word piriformis and thought, that sounds like the name of a nasty dinosaur. I immediately thought of Peter, who has such a great voice after I wrote it. Peter was a very good runner in his day and one of the original podcasters from a decade ago when we all got online and we met each other and hung out. And Peter does a podcast every once in a while called Spikes. You can look that up. Today we have a really good chat, a timely chat with Don. And I have been following Don for a few years. We're circling in the same orbit, but we never had her on the show. She's a heavy social media poster, and for some reason I see her posts on LinkedIn a lot. But I've always treated LinkedIn as a professional network and haven't let this hobby side of my life bleed over into it. But she stands out because you've got all these business people talking about businessy stuff. 
And then there's Don talking about empowerment and joy and these other things. And this time of year, in the Northern Hemisphere anyhow, we all get very stressed out. The weather turns, the days get shorter. If you have kids, their schedules ramp up. It's budget setting time and trade show season. And the end of the year is approaching with holidays and deadlines and sales quotas. And it tends to push people into anxiety and maybe even a little depression. And I was there myself this month earlier with having work challenges, getting older, an unruly puppy to train, lots of stuff going on. Things just felt awful and closed in and sort of trapped. And my mind started repeating a scarcity narrative of how much I don't have and how much I've lost, which I know is ridiculous because I'm one of the most blessed and lucky people you'll ever meet, but that's how your brain works, especially this time of year. Then I stumbled across one of Don's posts talking about gratitude and abundance. And by the way, one of the symptoms of this downward spiraling mental malaise is you start trying to distract yourself by spending too much time online. So that's one of the symptoms. Uh, whether it's Facebook scrolling or too much news or video games, you know, that's just an avoidance symptoms. That's a bad way to avoid life. Anyhow, I took a deep breath and I declared November a month of gratitude. How about that? You with me on this? November is a month of Thanksgiving and a month of gratitude. In section one, I'm going to suggest two useful ways you can use your off-season training to learn some new skills and add to your running assets. In section two, we are going to take the hero's journey together. Because one of the most effective ways to contextualize your experience in this world is to see it as a journey. Tell your narrative as a journey. And that is what we are going to talk about today. Gratitude and journeys. Because my friends, no matter how low or shitty it gets, the hero in you always knows the way. Without the shitty parts, there can be no hero. And I saw this great post this week that said, Failure is like stepping in manure. It stinks when you do it, but it makes for great fertilizer. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Okay, so what do you do when you have some time between races? This time of year, it's kind of a dead time of year. So how do you invest in training that will pay off down the road? I was out running with my club on Sunday. Ollie the Collie and I, we joined for a slow seven miles on the back roads of Groton, where I grew up. And I got to talking with one of the guys in my club who is starting to train for a 50K in the spring. And I found myself, as I always do, giving advice on what he could do in the next few weeks to build some new capabilities. It is this time of year that we find the opportunity to work on sharpening the saw, building some new capabilities, learning some new things that will make us better athletes. So the first thing I would recommend is to work on your aerobic base. This is a great fit when you have some non-specific training time because it typically requires you to step back in order to build the capacity to move forward. And I would guess most runners have no idea how to heart rate train. And I bet most don't know what their max heart rate is or what their zones are. 
Heart rate training is a set of skills that you can use throughout your running lifetime to increase fitness. And this set of knowledge and the skills that go with it are great additions to your assets, right? What makes heart rate training a great fit with these non-specific training periods is most likely you're going to need to slow down to take advantage of it. First, you need to find your heart rate zones, and I would recommend working with a coach who is familiar with the Lydiard-type training to find these zones because if you follow the rules of thumb, you know, base it on age and averages, you can be way off. And you need to set them correctly for this base aerobic training to actually add value. What most new heart rate runners find is that their current easy run pace is in a low to mid zone three. To build aerobic fitness, you need to train in a zone two. So this typically means slowing way down, and it takes a couple weeks to build back up to the pace you were at before. So if you have a month or so with no specific race in the immediate future, some longer zone two training is a great solution. Think of it as, you know, three runs a week for an hour or more, longer is better, in your zone two heart rate. And this will build aerobic capacity that you can then use to make you fitter and faster at all distances and teach you this new skill. And the second thing I told my friend was to experiment with fat adaption or adaptation, whichever word you like. Like most runners, he uses a lot of sugary nutrition to race. Gatorade, shot blocks, goo gels. Nothing wrong with these things, but it's extremely valuable to learn how to run without them. And this fits well into a non-specific period of training because there is no performance risk. So what if you have a bit less energy in a couple of runs? Start to experiment with not taking any sugar for your training runs. Listen to your body and see what it feels like, right? You may get a bit of withdrawal initially and with some, some low energy points, but in the long run, pun intended, your body figures out how to burn other sources of energy. Our bodies, even the skinny among us, have enough body fat to burn for most runs. And most of the sports nutrition stuff, it's mostly psychological. It doesn't actually do anything. So try running your long, low-effort zone 2 runs with just water and see where that power loss happens. Feel what it feels like for your body to make that shift to an alternative fuel source, especially if you're training for ultra distances. There's not enough sugar in the world to keep that beast at bay. Experiment with fruit or nut butters or other low-sugar complex carbs, and it's also a great opportunity to practice having your stomach digest real food on the go. Again, there's no risk. If you get a bit of rumbly in the tumbly on the trail, hey, you learn from it without risking any races or any training cycles. And I could throw in core building and flexibility and many, many other things, but I'm going to leave it there for simplicity. If you've never learned how to run in Zone 2, now is a great time to learn, and you'll drop into your spring training with a big fitness base, and it only takes a month or two for your body to figure it out. If you're dependent on sugary sports nutrition, now is a great time to wean yourself off of that stuff and teach your body how to burn fat for energy. Only takes a month or two to make that transition. You can see that these non-specific training times are excellent opportunities to learn new skills while you recover. So instead of just wasting this time, get out there and make yourself better. And now for today's featured interview. 
Don, give us the 200 words or less on who you are and what you do. Oh, I can't do that in 200. <laughs> um, I'm many things. You know, I hate to say, like, I'm an athlete, a mother, um, a nutritional coach, all of those things. I like to think I'm just, just a person who tries to inspire people. I guess my big thing is I like to allow my vulnerability to come out which some people ask me, did you really want people to know that about you? And it's yes, because how are they going to dive into their own vulnerability? So I like to put thoughts out there to make people think about things that maybe they kind of haven't focused on. But going back, I've had a a long life of not to be negative because it isn't negative. It's just a long life of trauma addictions, uh, eating disorders, smoking, all kinds of things. So I've kind of run the gamut. And the way I felt that I had an opening in life was through my body, through physicality. That really opened me up. So I became an athlete. And that is where I strive to get my inspiration out there to people. Because I believe to really feel alive, you need to be in your body and out in nature, and not just thinking so much. So I got into running, which was crazy, because I was 27 years old, two and a half pack a day smoker. I put down the cigarettes and started running. And I would run run um, half a block, walk half a block, and then I'd run a little bit more, walk a little less. And eventually I taught myself to run. And I went from running a block to running marathon. So the running was like an open door. It was a catalyst to me mm-hmm. that just opened mm-hmm. up yep. everything. It really yep. did. And, and I think yeah. the key was being in nature. I'm agreeing with you, Don, because I've heard this story mm-hmm. many, many times with people, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, it be the running or whatever it is, um, uh, became that leverage point, right? That somehow flipped their lives around. I love that. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We are nature. We're part of nature. But what I found in running particularly was I realized that there is unconditional love in nature. You don't have to look a certain way. There's no judgment. There's you just go out there and there's nothing you can do or say wrong. You're just totally accepted. Where else can you get that? Yeah. We don't even give that well, to ourselves. <laughs> no. So running took me out in nature. And it's more running for me more is a release. It's an opening to my creativity. I'm very competitive, but that's like a side effect. When people say, well, I want to run to lose weight or I want to get healthy, I say, yes, yes. But those are side effects. When you start running, you're going to open up a whole new world (laughs) that's going to amaze you. So that happened for me, and I actually, it just took off. I'm almost embarrassed to say I never trained, but I've never trained, and I would be winning my age group in all of the races. I've done 23 marathons and even won a couple Disney World marathons in my age group. And so I was really going into the running, and what happened was life was in the picture, and and I was going through some rough times, as we all do, dysfunctional relationships and financial problems. And I guess I got frustrated one day, so I went outside, and I, I just shouted on the top of my lungs, I'm ready, whatever it takes, I'm ready. I want to change. And I didn't realize this until later on in retrospect that I actually asked for my accident. So I was running Mm. over a bridge in New Jersey and I got struck head on by a car. Actually, it was a truck. 
I got thrown over the car 15 feet and landed in a fetal position. Now, I could have easily been thrown over the bridge into the water because I was on a bridge or thrown into a line of traffic, but I wasn't. And that's where my life changed in a nanosecond. That's how fragile life is. And so that became what I call the tragedy that was my gift because some people would see that as negative and roll over and be the victim. My body was 30 stitches in my head. My knee was blown open. My right tibia plateau was shattered in five pieces. I was in the hospital for weeks, and it took me about a year, a little over a year, to come back. I literally had to learn to walk again. And when you're in that position, when you're lying in bed uh, in a hospital, and even after I got home, and you can't move, I mean, if you've never been totally vulnerable and dependent on something as simple as going to the bathroom or some or taking a shower, you have to depend on someone else. That humbles you. And so long story short, I got back home and the person I was seeing at the time abandoned me and my daughter was going off to college. And so there I was stuck in this little house, not being able to move. So like wherever they put me, there I was. And I literally had to face Dawn. Because I was always that person that always had to have music on in the background, always a distraction. I never really wanted to just sit with myself. And here the universe forced me to do that. And I learned who I was. And I learned that I had a lot more strength and potential than I ever thought possible. And so I came back to running. The doctor said, you're never going to walk normally yet alone run. And of course, that was the challenge. <laughs> I was like, no way, that that can't happen. So I, I fought my way back. I came back to running, but I came back a different runner, if that makes sense. I'm so competitive, but there was a whole new world that opened up to me because I was looking through life with different eyes. I had a paradigm shift, and that's what I like to help people see in their life. So there's a lot, and, and, a, there's a lot in there, Don, that you just mm-hmm. said a lot in your uh, 200 words there. There's so much going on in there. So you said you think that this accident was like a gift that you asked for? Are you saying that the, somehow God or the universe brought this Absolutely. for you to learn from? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, and it was and, years later after the accident when I said, oh my God, I actually asked for that. You yeah. know the old saying, God throws sand and then pebbles and then he throws a truck at you. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what it took for me. <laughs> And then a couple of things. One is you learned a lot by being wholly dependent on others, right? That's a humbling mm-hmm. experience that teaches you something about one of the biggest gifts you can give is your vulnerability and your dependence on others. People don't see it that way. They hold that back because they don't want to threaten or disappoint or affect someone else. But in actuality, one of the biggest gifts you can give is that vulnerability and dependence, right? Absolutely. And people are afraid of getting hurt, but it's that mindset that we're collective. I mean, we really are all the same. Whatever we do affects everything. And and that's what I mean, like we are nature. We're part of nature. And so I stress to a lot of people that I work with, nutrition is very important. Fitness is important. If you want to have a good life, I have a site that's called Attain Your Best Life. And it's how you attain your best life. Well, first you start with where you're at, okay? Because if you're going to keep comparing yourself to someone else, you're just going to be stuck in that mode. 
they have to start where you're at. And that goes hand in hand with that aging athlete. If you're a 50-year-old athlete, I don't care how good you were when you were 30, you can't carry your glory (laughs) days with you. (laughs) And I've tried. Um, And I've learned that from my accident because everything's different about me. My gait, everything has changed. I don't run as good as I used to, but I'm okay with it. So the other thing in that description was when you had to spend time deeply alone, and that can make Mm -hmm. people crazy, but it can also, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like enforced meditation, enforced me time. And I see so much of this now in our world where these people who are strident business people, they've made their fortune and now they're having to meditate every day so they don't go, go crazy, right? So they're like coming back to the spiritual or the quiet after the fact, and you had that forced on you, and you had to think through all this stuff. That's a very powerful thing as well. Well, you you know what it is, Chris, and and especially with not just limiting women, but I work with a lot of women, and so they are successful, and they have the job and the the house with the white picket fence and the two-and-a-half kids and everything. And then they look in the mirror and it's like, they're not happy. And why aren't they happy? Well, now that gives them guilt and shame and everything else. There's something inside of them. They're not happy. And a lot of it is because they don't know who the hell, they don't know themselves. They've got this body for 50 years that they've been with in, and they don't even know who that person is. And sometimes you have to be forced to, to learn. Right. So that's a great jumping off point there. So Don, when you're working with these Client, mm-hmm. short of getting hit by an SUV, how do you give them that lever? Well, and that's what I say. Don't wait for a uh, an accident to change your life. It's a gentle paradigm shift, and it doesn't happen overnight. But it's like, first of all, you have to trust your body. And a lot of people don't. People are afraid of pain. They're afraid of being sad. They think that you have to be happy all the time. In my paradigm is there is no happiness and there is no sadness. There just is an experience. So whatever somebody might think is negative or adversity, I look at that as it's an opportunity for a miracle because miracles come out of that. And it's just like for my accident, that was a miracle for me that came out of that. And it's trusting your body and it's kind of being where you're at in the moment, which is very hard to do. People are always yep. jumping ahead, and they're thinking. We're thinkers, yep. and, and we think, think, think. But to trust your body is to feel, and feeling so, is the truth. So the women you're working with, are you bringing them from never having like run before and getting them into running? Is that part of your sort of methodology? Some of them are, and I try not to push the running because I believe in just body movement because some people just can't run. It's not for everybody, but walking, dancing, cycling, whatever it is. But I've had women who've never run before, and they start out walking, running, and then running a little bit more. And the amazing thing is the finish for their course of learning to run. Other than we're doing it as group work and it's camaraderie and you're also learning how to eat properly and everything. They do this 5K race for women, which is called Saturday in the Park. And it benefits women from domestic violence. And a lot of the women that get into this are from domestic violence or some kind of abusive relationship. And when you see them coming across the finish line, I mean, I get teary-eyed because that's more than any paycheck. The look in their eyes, I mean, I see women that they're not running very fast, 
but they put their arms up when they cross that finish line. That is empowerment. And, yeah, and that exactly. opens up a whole new world to them. You have women that they're not maybe not physically abused, but they're in a relationship where the husband's always putting them down or criticizing, and they're not even aware of it after a while. So this gives them back their own power, and the best way to do it is through some kind of physicality. So if you're working with women, and I'm going to say my age, I'm going to be 57 next week. When, <laughs> yeah, when I was in high school, there really were no women's sports per se, right? It was just starting back then. So you're potentially yeah. working with clients who have no institutional history of athletics. And you know what? That's almost good in a certain way because there are no negative experiences. There are no, not there's expectations, but sometimes going into something all new and fresh is like a baby with new eyes and you're, you're in awe and you're open to learning. And right. I mean, I'm, a, I'm 64 years old, so I've lived that life. And I had two brothers and I was always outside playing kickball or anything physical, but it wasn't acceptable for women and, and there wasn't any sports for women. So it wasn't until I was older that I discovered I was, not only did it make me feel alive, but I was good at it. I mean, I was a good yeah. runner if I only had known yeah. years ago. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, these women, they start trusting their bodies and feeling their bodies. And it's that paradigm shift again. You don't know what you can do until you try. That yep. You have limiting yeah. beliefs, but you need someone sometimes to hold your hand and say, you can do this. I'm right here with you. And they'll believe it once they do it. And then they go further and further and further. And I don't mean it yeah. running only. It, it opens up their whole world to them. No, it kind of allows you to shake off that baggage and approach life with mm -hmm. the mind of a child, right? Because I think one of the things yeah. that happen as you get deeper into life is you have so much baggage, you know, whether it's good baggage oh, or bad yeah. baggage, that you kind of feel trapped, right? And it allows them to yeah. say, hey, if I can do this, then I can do these other things. And it's also putting the power in their hands because we're always relying on other people to make us feel better or to help us get the job. But if you can do something totally on your own because it's only you crossing that finish line or you achieving that goal, that in itself is just so empowering. Yep. Exactly. So I wanted to circle back. Like I said, I see all your posts on LinkedIn and you post a lot, right? You post with a, lot, a great frequency. And like you said, you put some of this vulnerable stuff out there. Do you ever get mm -hmm. pushback from the business type people like put this stuff on Facebook, not here on LinkedIn sort of stuff? Or You would think so, but no, I don't. And in fact, because I'm all over. I, I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I'm on LinkedIn. I went on LinkedIn more because I did want to get more attached to the business corporate people. And what I did recently was I started a women's group called Be Your Own Shiro. And I wanted yeah. to target, because I, I have something similar on the other site, uh, social media, and I, it was it's huge. I get a lot of interaction, and it's a safe place where women can just put out there their inspiration, their concerns. And I've got some pretty heavy hitters from corporate in that group, which kind of set me back because, yeah, they could have been critical, but they're not. They're actually participating. No. Right. So I think and, that, and again, it's highly... the power people. Yeah, it's the power people you don't think have any problem. 
And we're all human. Yeah, and like I was going to say, I think that highlights the fact that the folks, the correlation between being super successful in business and being happy is very, very weak, that correlation, Mm -hmm. right? So you're the piece that they're missing, right? So it highlights that gap, all right? In today's world, you're missing a lot of the places where people used to go to have conversations, right? To have those um, sort of safe conversations with people where they could talk Mm -hmm. about what they want to talk about that you don't have those opportunities much anymore, right? In social media, people put out there the best of them, okay? The best pictures, they're having fun, they're traveling, they're looking great, they're happy, they got the job. But that's not real life. It isn't. It's the best part of your life. And so that even makes people feel less than or comparison. And so there is nowhere for them to go. Right. And the ability to have like-minded peers that you can talk to in a trusting environment, it's great therapy for people, right? It is. And I liken it to running because when I first started running, I was amazed because you run with doctors, surgeons, lawyers, all kinds of people, walks of life, and you don't know it. All you see is some sweaty runner with spit hanging off his face. And there's this united camaraderie between you because you're sharing one joy, which is your running. And it doesn't yeah. matter who you are or what your job is. We no, lost right. that in I, society. We really did. Yep, yep, we have. And that's a, this is a good vehicle to get there. So what have been mm-hmm. uh, some of your top three or best uh, success stories or stories that from the people we've worked with over the last few years? Well, I actually had one client, believe it or not, he's in Great Britain. And this is a man I've never met, but we've communicated through social media and he was following me and he wanted to become a runner and he started running and he went on to, I would be coaching him and, and motivating him. And he went on to trying to run a marathon. And I'll never forget, he did the marathon, he finished, and he wrote back to me and he said, I don't know. He goes, I was in so much pain and I was struggling and struggling. And he goes, thank you, Dawn, because I got to mile 24 and I thought, Dawn did this (laughs) and I can do this because he knew about my accident and everything. And he goes, that's what got me to the finish line. And that in itself was like so rewarding that I could make a difference in somebody's life to that extent. I've also had clients where they're more like unhealthy, overweight, suffering with diabetes and other things. You get stuck in that that mode where you're never going to get better because you kind of think that that's the way you've always felt so it's normal to feel crappy but it isn't. And so having her over time tweak her diet, change things, lose some weight, get active, she not only lost weight, she reversed her diabetes. She did right. not have, you yep. know, a lot of people go right for drugs and you don't have to. Nope. She well, changed her diet type. and lifestyle. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's the way it works, right? So you yep. and I talked a little bit about aging as an athlete, right? So yes. the the question is, it's a lot of that comparison stuff. Like you said, you know, I turn around and I look at the wall. I got 21 Boston Marathon medals there, and that's what I'm comparing myself to. How do you, mm-hmm. your clients who have this history of being athletic, how do you age into it gracefully? It's not always easy. Again, it's, it's, it's not letting go those glory moments and all your successes. It's a reality check. It's being kind and loving to your body. Sometimes I beat my body. You know, it made me realize 
I'm beating my body. You're going to run these miles. And then when you back off and you give your body a little bit of break, it actually cooperates much more. So I'm still competing. I'm still winning my age groups, but I'm doing it in a kinder, softer way. Maybe I'm training differently and accepting the fact that I'm going to be a few minutes slower than I was five years ago, but it's okay. Part of it is acceptance, right? It's acceptance, yes. And And it's also knowing you're still 100% ahead of the normal population who's not running at all or doing anything to, to, for self-care. I mean, yeah. you know yourself, if you're still doing races, we have age groups of 70, 80 and beyond, and there's still right. people competing yeah. and they're yeah. winning medals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you start comparing yourself to the 80 year old guy who's faster than you. So that's no good. <laughs> but I have to say, and running is the only time it's okay to get older because it puts you in a new age group. <laughs> right. Right, to get those extra minutes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what are you working on next, and how do people find you as I gracefully move you towards the exit here? <laughs> well, I have a website called attainyourbestlife.com, yeah. and it's basically finding that balance. It's a healthy lifestyle. It's not just going into losing weight or, or anyone specific. It's a balance between fitness and mental and spiritual. And it's choosing joy versus good or bad. Joy is a state of mind. Joy is finding the beauty from exactly where you're at. And I use some of my things that we discussed earlier, along with nutrition, whatever someone needs to attain their best life and whatever that is for someone. And then I've also, again, like I said before, I'm focusing on be your own shiro. Because I notice that a lot of women suffer from dysmorphia, eating disorders, lack of self-esteem, all of those issues. And it's a little bit more prominent in women than men. And I've lived them all. So I, I feel like I can help people in that arena. Good, good, good. And I think uh, one of your points on balance is for people who are listening, what I found is that your body and your brain will tell you when you're getting out of balance. You'll know. Right? Yeah, yeah, you'll know. I mean, and again, trust your body when you get that pit in the stomach or that stress on your shoulders, whatever someone's asking you or the decision you're trying to make, that's not the right one. You have to trust your body. Yep. So listen to your body. Trust your body. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for uh, the quick turnaround on this, Don. I'm glad we finally get the doc after. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) After so many years. Hopefully we'll get to meet one day. Yeah, I'll keep following you're you Boston, on uh, right? your yeah your LinkedIn posts. We'll be able to see every day, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm also on Facebook. It's Dawn Sacone Runs um, is my Facebook because I didn't want to be associated with Dawn Sacone from uh, whatever movie that was. <laughs> yeah, you send me all those. Li- <laughs> yeah, yeah, send me all the uh, the LinkedIn. I'm sorry, send me all the links and all that stuff and. I'll put it in the show notes so people can find you. All right? Oh, sure. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. And, yep. And uh, we can edit this out after the fact, but if you want to talk about how to do podcasting, I'm more than willing to take a call and walk you I through all ab- that. Yeah, I would absolutely love that because I, I think there's a huge market for it, especially for yeah. you know middle-aged women in particular. Yeah. You know, everybody's moving towards video now, and I don't like it. I just don't like it. It's still too hard to, the mechanics of downloading a video and watching it is too hard for me. Maybe it's just my age group. 
I think audio is perfect, though, because you're in the car, you're out on a walk, right? Exactly. Audio is perfect. Yeah. I mean, I've done some videos, but, I, yeah, I do prefer that because you can just put your headphones on and no one knows. <laughs> yep. All right, my friend, I'm going to move you towards the exit. It was great talking to you, so uh, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Okay, Chris. Bye-bye. You enjoy your day. Bye now. Yeah, bye-bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Your hero's journey, the context for your life, for your journey. What are you doing today? Is it a good day? Are you filled with joy and satisfaction? Yeah, probably not, but that's okay. Life's a journey. You need to understand that this journey is not easy or predictable. There are, at least, three lies promulgated in every culture throughout the history of man. The first is that you're going to be happy all the time. You might call this the happiness lie. That doesn't happen. That is a false goal anyhow. It's unnatural to be happy all the time. You can be peaceful. You can be confident. You can be sanguine. You can be stable in your emotional drift, but you're not going to be smiling and laughing all day every day. Don't set a goal to banish all challenging human emotions from your life. Set the goal to be able to manage them through your journey. The slight truth to the happiness lie is that life is better with a positive outlook and a smile in general. And you can, through practice, move your emotional set point to be more happy in general. And a good goal is to project happiness and practice happiness. That's more achievable. And the second lie is that destination fallacy. The way this plays out in our world, the message we hear is that if you can only get or achieve or acquire X, Y, and Z, then you will be happy. This is the destination fallacy. It'll be great when we get there. Challenges, you never get there. The most unhappy people in the world are those that unexpectedly reach all their goals. That doesn't make them happy. That just gives you no goals and no purpose. That's the winning lottery ticket scenario. That will kill you faster than anything. And the third lie is the straight line fallacy. Simply stated, this means that everything can be reduced to a straight line. The lie states that the bumps and the knocks and the ditches in life are the exception, not the rule. This is false. Life is exceptions, the knocks and the ditches. It's never a straight line. Why does this matter? It matters because if you approach life with a straight line assumption, you set yourself up to fail. If you approach life with a squiggly line assumption, you will be much more emotionally robust in your journey. How about an example from athletics, right? When I set out to run a specific time in a marathon, I lay it out in a straight line. I'm going to train. I'm going to show up healthy and fast. I'm going to meet my goal. How often does that happen? What's the reality? It seldom goes exactly the plan and sometimes goes horribly wrong. The reality is that I'm going to train, but I'm going to struggle to get all the workouts in. Some of those workouts are going to go horribly wrong. By the end of the training cycle, I'm going to be injured and stressed out. And on race day, the weather is going to probably suck. And despite all my best efforts, I will miss my time. That's what happens, you know, 60% of the time. Does that sound familiar? I bet you've had that experience as well. Those are the good stories, right? The good stuff is when things go wrong. What's my point? Why do you care? Because you can't set expectations that 
you're going to be able to control things. You can't bend the universe to your will. The truth is that the only thing you can control is how you react and how you handle the bumps. And this boils down to the questions you ask and the stories you tell yourself. One of the most popular stories that we all know by heart is the hero's journey. The hero starts out on this journey many times without knowing it. Something happens and puts the hero on the path of the journey. The hero then faces challenges along the way, defeats, setbacks, failures. The hero is forced or happens to consult with a wise person who coaches them through their challenges. And then the hero eventually emerges victorious at the end and overcomes all the challenges and lives happily ever after. So look at your own story in light of the hero. Maybe you're at that low point, the challenge. Maybe the story you tell yourself is that this is just the natural challenge of the hero's journey. You will face these challenges and emerge victorious. Maybe you need to find your coach, your Yoda, your Gandalf to guide you. Isn't it easier to see this challenging part of your life as a natural part of the journey? Even a necessary part of the journey? Isn't this part of the journey that crafts you into the hero you are and will be? And I know it seems hard when you're facing these challenges. You feel like you've been cheated or misinformed. It wasn't supposed to be this way, this hard. The path wasn't supposed to be so squiggly. But if you can tell your story in a different way, in a different context, you can reposition these challenges, these challenging times. And if you can start asking better questions and telling a better story, it's a short leap from there, from suffering to gratitude. And you can contextualize and see anything as a gift, as part of your hero's journey. Because you can't control the path. You can only control the story you tell. So tell a hero's story. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have made it with gratitude to the end of the journey, which is the Run Run Live podcast episode 4-419. Okie dokie. I'm in a down phase in my training, which is another kinder way of saying I'm not really training much. Much for me, that is. I'm just doing three days a week in the trails with Ollie the Collie. And then a longer run with the boys on Sundays, somewhere in 20 to 30 miles a week. And I've fattened myself back up with some poor nutritional choices as well. But I think, overall, we need to take these breaks to rebalance the humors every once in a while. And I know discipline is power, but that can burn you out, and I've got a lot going on right now. I've noticed that I'm starting to get that bug again, though, to do something epic. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm not sure if I'll get into Boston this year, and if I don't, that opens up the spring for something. Coming up is our traditional Thanksgiving 5K, but my daughter Teresa hurt her foot, so I'm going to walk it with her. Maybe we'll drag the dog along, start early, do that sunshine start thing, like the old people that I that I am. After that, in the first week of December, is the Mill Cities Relay. And I was running with my buddies, Brian and Frank, and we came up with the bright idea of entering our own team because we're all in the same age group, and you only need five people. already had three, so how hard could it be? And I started reaching out to some of our old running friends, those ones in our age group, 
And you know what I found? Many of them were no longer running at all due to age-related injuries, you know? I have no bursa. I have bone on bone. I can't do this, right? So in a weird schadenfreude way, that made me feel pretty good about the fact that I'm still getting out there. And it also reminded me to be kinder to myself. So finally, I am planning to run the Groton Marathon and organize it for the 7th edition, December 29th this year. Please come up and run with us. It's fun. And what about Ollie the Collie? We were asked not to come back to puppy training. It started as we were sitting patiently, waiting for class to start. Ollie, the Border Collie puppy, and myself in the big box pet store. It was our third class. Ollie was doing well, learning quickly. The dopey brown doodle puppy came in with its handler, all stupid and goofy. And the dopey doodle's exuberance overruled the owner's ability to control it. And it pulled its way over into our space to check out Ollie. And Ollie was not happy about this. He turned to look at me and he said, Dad, what is this madness? These doodles and snoodles and snickerdoodle caboodles. What right do they have to play with the canine DNA of pure breeds for their own amusement? These freaks, these aberrations, this cannot stand. I draw the line here. I must stop this madness. Foul abomination, I strike at thee. I will blot out your aberration from this world. At least that's what I thought he said, because it was at this point he went berserk and tried to murder the doodle. But since I was holding him by the collar, he turned and sunk his teeth into my hand. And as I was bleeding and shaking with fear, that's when the nice lady said, maybe we should leave and not come back. On the one hand, <laughs> Ollie is mental, and that has its challenges. But on the other hand, I'm kind of jealous, because that's exactly the kind of punk rock, hardcore mental... Many of us tried to be his teenagers. And he's coming on to six months old. He's already 31 pounds of muscular athlete with a big brain to boot. And he's running 20 to 30 miles with me off leash in the woods each week. And he's scary fast and strong. He's not much on cuddling, but as they say, he's someone you'd want to share a foxhole with. I just have to train him up. He's going to be a great dog. And remember, as Ollie says, death to doodles. I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Hello and 